0: Our guests today are two great friends, and that's what makes this so special. Eric Musselman and I have been friends for almost 30 years. We coached against each other in the CBA. We coached with each other in the NBA with the Orlando Magic. And we've been dear friends, you know, through his entire career. Care about him immensely as a human being, but more importantly, he's just become a great, great guy. I think as a coach, you need people that you can turn to every day and say, hey, I'm not sure how to do this. And he's a guy that can always give me a good advice. And it's a shared mentorship, you know, and I I, I value that with people that I call them my coach and they call me their coach. And so that's what you want to get, a partnership in coaching. He's also hired someone that I had the incredible pleasure of working with at LSU, David Patrick. You know, when we were at LSU together, we had his godson, Ben Simmons and, amazing the the best player i've ever seen at that level uh that i ever got a chance to coach and uh, obviously you're seeing his greatness now in the nba david patrick is the real deal he is an incredible basketball coach teacher person his relationship skills are off the charts he is going to be he was a great head coach the last two years at the university of california riverside he took an amazing opportunity to come to arkansas razorbacks to join his friend eric musselman i think you're going to see these guys are going to be incredible together so i think you're really going to enjoy this visit with eric musselman and david patrick prepare like the pros with the new fast draw fast draw is the number one affordable coaching tool used by pro and high school level teams worldwide With FastRoy, you can save your plays and playbooks digitally, attach video and share with other coaches and your players in seconds. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching content resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 8,000 free plays and drills from their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Don't forget to use promo code CU10, that is CU10, to receive 10% off your next fast model purchase. We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers and coaches on demand, real time and detailed analytics and top of the line drills and workouts. If you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that in to Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention coaching you Or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. And today, history is being made because we are the first time we've ever had two coaches at the same time. And we have Eric Musselman, head coach at the University of Arkansas, and David Patrick, the associate head coach of Arkansas, of which... I have been an assistant to each of them, Eric with the Magic, DP at LSU, I took Eric's place at LSU, and then DP left my ass, So, that's, that's, <laughs> so, I, so yeah. but now the three of us are together on this. How are you guys doing? Eric, how have you been, man?
1: Doing great, Coach. It's great to be on with you again, and, and it's great to uh, have a great friend and, and partner in uh, Coach Patrick.
0: Yeah, David, and uh, you know, it's amazing is that uh, when Zach Kendrick and I were uh, talking about this, is our third time for each of you on the Coaching You podcast. So what we're trying to do, Eric and uh, David, is we're trying to get more material so that your elliptical workouts will be longer and 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 and, 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 and instead of having to call me on dp's walks he can listen to another podcast instead (laughs) you know hey eric tell me uh you know you know to get a a guy uh, a head coach you know uh to get him to come to your program what was that like
1: well, you know, we, we lost a great coach and Coach uh, Chris Crutchfeld, and he obviously got an opportunity to be a head coach and to be able to coach his sons and made kind of a family decision. So a uh, unique time for us um, one year in to then, you know, look at, at assistant coaching uh, pools that are out there. And, and uh, David was outside the box. I had tried the year before um, to get him right when I got the job. Um, DP was the first coach that I called because I wanted help and I knew I needed help. Um, And, you know, he, David's unique because he's, he's obviously a great recruiter, uh, but it went way beyond that. It it went to partnership. It went to a guy that I know I can learn from. It went to a guy that I can rely on to the practice floor. um, A guy that, that can, can take drills and, and, and do them and teach them as well, if not better. So, so, so really just kind of an all encompassing decision but it was not it was not easy uh for dp to make the decision and and obviously relied on you coach sir to 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 kind of go back and forth as a, as a, as a uh career consultant um to dp <laughs> and then also myself on the decision and coach johnny jones helped as well um but i i remember calling dp the night before that he was going to you know address his team At UC Riverside and said, hey, man, like I know we've gone down this road and negotiated back and forth and talked about a million different things. But if you want to back out like I I get it because we're friends and I want I want to make sure that you're really excited, and pumped up about this thing. Um, And so that was kind of how it went down
0: thought you were pulling the contract from at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and
0: I like that term career consultant, that consultants are great terms because they usually tell people that hire them stuff. They already know, you know, but, uh, you know, but, uh, David hardest thing for you in being a head coach, you know, you, you want that, you get that job, you know, you take one of the hardest damn jobs in the country and, uh, Against my advice, the career consultant, yeah. okay? And and uh, you go there, and you absolutely, against all odds, crush it. And to the point where you're really on the verge of going into your tournament, having a lot of wins, going to go to a postseason tournament, and you, then you're going to have a lot of guys back. I know how difficult it was. Talk about as a, any head coach, and Eric went through this at Nevada, what's it like when you have to leave kids you like behind?
2: Look, I think, you know, when Eric called, it was the decision wasn't hard for me to know that I wanted to work with not only a somebody I've looked up to, but but a friend and someone I call family. And so the decision wasn't hard for me to to join him. But the, the hardest part for me was leaving the team that you just mentioned about at UC Riverside, because, you know, you put so much sweat and tears in the building, building culture, building a team. And I thought in year two, we had got it to where we wanted it to be. And. You know, these these student athletes invest in you as a coach and you and your staff and so do their families. And so to sit in front of them and in this environment in front of a Zoom and let them know that um, you're moving on is tough at any time. But it was really tough, uh, you know, during a pandemic and trying to do it over, over, over a Zoom call. The worst thing is
0: to have to go into tears when you're on a Zoom call, right? You know, I mean that. Now, I mean that seriously, it's hard. You know, because the way you feel about kids, I know how difficult that is for, you know, both you guys when you had to leave. But Eric, talk to me about, you know, you've you've been a program builder, you know, and I think, you know, having had the experience with you in the CBA I don't know if there's a better training ground. It's not the D League. It's not the G League. The CBA was a different animal. I think we both agree. You know, that's where I think you really cut your teeth on how to build because we had to
1: build a new team every year, right? Yeah, I don't think people understand, Coach. The you know, the Continental Basketball Association obviously was before the G League, before the D League. Um, But yes, you were a general manager, and and uh, and you know, you put together your roster. Um, And then you had not only did you put it together kind of in the offseason, but then you had to adjust almost on a daily basis, whether it's a player called up. And, you know, what people don't understand is the level of talent at that point. Um, You know, there wasn't expansion. Um, There was only 12 minor league teams, not 30 like there are now, Mm -hmm. basically. Um, And so it's, it's much more watered down now from a competitive nature and the talent level. Um, compared to what it used to be. But there's no question, uh, probably the most frustrating thing when I tried to get into college basketball and get a head coaching job was the fact that people, meaning athletic directors, administrators, just had zero respect, um, not only for the CBA, um, but also for uh, the NBA to some degree. And and that was a hard hurdle to overcome. But um, putting together a roster at the collegiate level, I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, that that background of having to do that at the minor league level um, is probably the greatest training ground. Because even when we're sitting in, you know, staff meetings or I'm talking to other college coaches, the, their vision of building a team is not necessarily the, the you know the same way that that I have a vision to build a team. And and I think that you know the guy that could predict the future better than anyone, and it happens to be his birthday today, is Coach Chuck Daly. Um, you know, and I remember coach sitting in those meetings with him and, and and I would always walk out and say, like, he said that two weeks ago and it's happening now. Um, and, and I think that's kind of what you got to do with your roster is you've got to predict the future to some degree to the best of your ability.
0: You know, I, I talked to B.J. Armstrong, who's a friend of all of us and, uh, you know, the great three-time champ with the Bulls. And B.J. and I were talking. We had B.J. his last year, well, one of his last years playing, and we had Gerald Wilkins on the team. And Gerald Wilkins was an angry young man, Dominique's brother at the time. And and uh, one day he just went off in the locker room. I mean off. And, and, and uh, I'll be honest. There's not a college coach in America that could have handled what he was coming out with. Uh, but he was on a guaranteed contract for millions, and, and and BJ said to me the other day. He said Chuck Daly sat there, Hall of Famer, uh, two-time world champ, Olympic champion, sat there, and when someone on the team said, "Hey, shut up," Chuck said, "Let him talk. I want to hear what he has to say." That that is just so Chuck, right? You know, you <laughs> know, not trying to say, "Hey, no you question. sit down, shut up." No, sh- relax. I want to hear what he has to say. And I thought, you know, that's how brilliant he was in so many ways. And many people wouldn't understand that, you know. But give me one of the lessons that he might have taught you or several. It doesn't matter, Eric.
1: Yeah, I think I think probably the biggest thing, and, and I won't say the player's name. I guess you can if you want, Coach Serbo. <laughs> oh,
0: um, at my <laughs> age, I can say anything I freaking want now.
1: <laughs> I, I just remember being in staff meetings, um, and he could be so frustrated with a player whether it be effort execution whatever it may be and he could walk down those steps at the Orlando Magic practice facility and he would make a beeline to that particular player and hug him and 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 tell him how great he was and and I don't know how he was able to turn that off and on where um you know the players they actually loved him yep um and he had such a coolness about him like, it's, it's almost like you look at a coach and you say, you know, just like a team, when you, when you watch a team play and it's game one in the NBA season or game, game 42 or game 81 or a playoff game, like, what's that team's identity? You know, and the thing with Coach Daly, like, he had an identity and he had a style. Like, you knew he was cool. You knew he was great with the players. An incredible X and O guy. Didn't over talk in practice. Like you knew what you were getting on a daily basis. And I thought that was, you know, for a young coach. And then he coached the coaches. Like I Mm -hmm. thought it's his last year coaching. And I really thought, Coach Sir, that he was trying to coach us as much as the team to become better coaches.
0: Every day, every day he would do that. And, uh, you know, and he would do things, he would throw things at you just to. See your reaction, and you know. One day, I remember you and I are sitting in there, and we're, you know, I'm I'm pretty young at the time because I you know, I'm like twenty one, twenty two years younger than Chuck, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm we're in Orlando together, you and I, and he looks at you and me, and. He says, you two are dinosaurs. And I said, <laughs> I said well, what? excuse me? You know, we have the best record in the East. And they said, we're dinosaurs, you know? And he, Yeah, he said, this game's going to go by us. It's going to go to players and stuff like that. He knew that cycle was going to come, you know, like you said before. And I thought it, he was just so much fun to be around. And my favorite saying of Chuck's was, no matter what, whether it was a writer or anyone, he'd say, whatever. And I don't know what the hell whatever is, you know, but it was just a great way to get to the next point without ever saying anything bad, you know, and stuff like that. David, when you, when you went from TCU associate head coach to head coach at UC Riverside, now you move those 18 inches over, you take over an entire program, the responsibility of the budget, the scheduling, everything falls under you. What were some of the biggest lessons you learned in becoming a head coach?
2: Look, I think the one thing is that like, you don't have all the answers when you're in that in that chair, and you don't understand the stress um, that you're under daily. And th- that's not nothing to do with games, whether it's getting your student-athletes in school, whether it's preparing a practice plan that now you're in charge of, whether it's uh, housing. Th- those decisions you don't have to make as an assistant coach. You can suggest all you want, but when when you move those 18 inches over, it, it, it now falls on you, and that's um, something that I, I I thought I did well in year two, but I thought I struggled with a little bit in in, in year one initially because it's so much uh, coming your way, and you prepare as best as you can, you know, as, as an assistant coach. But until you're you're in that chair, you don't know. And so now I'm fortunate to be uh, working uh, for Coach Musselman. Now I, I I'm, I'm hopeful now I can see. Uh, the lessons I learned as a head coach that that I can take some stuff off his plate and 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 make his life a little bit easier because I now I know the stress that a head coach is under, especially at this level. You know,
0: when we were working together at LSU, you know, you know, coming from another generation of coaching, you know the the analytics which i believe in but the analytics that i knew were frankly the same analytics that pat riley and Hubie brown and chuck daly knew which was the stat sheet you know we knew what affected winning based on certain statistics on the stat sheet but david you, you showed me you're at unbelievable knowledge of analytics and stuff where do you get that you know you know tremendous Understanding of the importance of that and how you translate it. Because I'd have conversations with you. You said, Well, you know, you're not winning because you're like, your pace of play is like, you know, third worst (laughs) in the country, you know. And I, I, or, you know, you you don't, you don't guard, you don't rebound or something. And you would know the stats I didn't even know of my own team, you know. Where do you get that keen interest for that?
2: Look, I, I think my foundation at at St. Mary's working for Coach Randy Bennett, um, you know who worked who worked under Hank Egan who who obviously coached Coach Musselman uh, is where analytics kind of grew on me. You know we were at a program where we where we knew we weren't um, a power five program, but we knew analytics could help us uh, bridge that gap. You know by by being detail orientated. So not beating yourself, and it was something we probably. Um, did in about 2006 and I've carried it along my way, you know, wherever I've been. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's pace of play. It's, it's getting every defensive rebound. It's not turning the ball over. It's, uh, knowing that threes are better than long twos. Um, and that was stuff we were doing, uh, before this stuff became in vogue, you know, the three point shooting. And so, um, I study it daily. Uh, I'm fortunate to have you, Coach Sir, and, and, and Coach Muss as my mentors, as I've been on my journey, and uh, that's helped as well when you, have, when you have experts like yourselves that I can pick up the phone and call when it comes to just growing and learning learning as a coach.
0: When you put your team together, when you, you got to now say, okay, I'm not running uh, Johnny Jones, I'm not running uh, you know, Randy Bennett, I'm not running Jamie Dixon's offense or defense, how did you decide what you wanted to do? Look, I, I
2: I tell you what, I, I went in there wanting wanting to run four out one in and, and and we did that, you know, spread the floor and play with a post and run, run a ton of ball screens and offensively and then defensively in year one. I wanted to hard hedge and be an aggressive ball screen defending team. Um, what I did find quick is um, you have to be able to run an offense that suits your suits your, your personnel. And um, I changed in year two. when I became a uh Drop defense and an ice defensive team because we were very big. I became a duck in, you know, put the ball on the post with two posts, which is not in vogue anymore. But that suited our brand of play. And uh, so I think, you know, as I grew as as I've grown as a coach, you have to be able to to. You can have an offense that you think fits, but it better fit the personnel you have. And that was something I learned uh, being a head coach because I had this whole grand scheme of how I was going to run things going into Riverside. And that changed quickly um, once I found out the personnel I had.
0: You you have, um, you know, again, uh, you know, I think as coaches, we do what we think we you know, Pete Carrill told me years ago only you can only emphasize two things. You know, and he's got the smartest guys in the country at Princeton. You know, and but he, you know, he believed in that. But uh, you know, I've never been one. You know, from pro basketball mainly of emphasizing rebounding. I want to win the rebounding. Want to get more offensive rebounds than the other team, et cetera. But we never worked on it in pro basketball. But you were like a fanatic about rebounding. Talk to me about that.
2: Look, yeah, I'm, I'm anal about it, um, especially defensive rebounding. I'm glad you I,
0: finally admitted that you're anal. Yeah, boss, yeah you? I'm anal because I think <laughs> uh,
2: a missed shot, there's, there's no reason you don't box, box out and you don't get, get, get the ball. And that's habit, and that's a, a toughness to do it every single time down the floor. And that's something I think you can control, if, you know, as long as you, you know, get a hand in the eyeball of the shooter and then block out and pursue the ball a lot of that's effort, you know, and that doesn't, to me, that's not a skill. It's not how high you jump. It's not how fast you run. It's, it's doing the right thing over and over again. And that's one area I thought um, going into Riverside, we could improve. And so I think they were 310 in the country when we got there. And this past year, we finished six in the country. Wow. And uh, it was, it was, it was evident because we drilled it every day. It was something we talked about, uh, whether it was scout. Whether it was you know five and zero, oh, everything finished with a blockout and go get the ball. So a lot of it's learned behavior because mm-hmm. you can't control you know shots going in or how athletic you, you're going to be, but I think you can control uh, your effort every single time on the defensive end of the floor and finishing I, I, with a yeah. rebound.
0: It's fascinating, and, and the results you had are incredible, Eric. I was starting to talk about it before, but it seems you know from your CBA days all the way to. You became the head coach at Golden State, then Sacramento, and then when you went to Reno and L.A. in the D-League, and then at Nevada and Arkansas, you have to come in and kind of, I don't want to say rebuild, but revamp, revive in some cases. Uh, It's a special talent that can do that. What's your mindset when you do that?
1: Well, I, you know, I think that first of all, I, you know, like every time you take over a job, uh, the coaching staff prior to you did a heck of a job. Like, no matter what you 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 think coming in, like, because then you start finding out, all right, well, well, there's a hole here, there's this, that, you know, there's there's always obstacles to overcome in every job, and I think one thing is you got to really respect the people that you that that came before you, um, and then you've got to just try to uh, implement your system, your style, create an identity as quick as you can. And I think coach Patrick, you know, has hit on it really well. The fact that, you know, you might have a certain way that you want to play. And I think the great thing about coaching in the minor leagues um, or, or, or coaching overseas um, is, is the fact that you've got to be adaptable to, to what your team is and, and for instance, this year we led the nation in defending the three point line mm-hmm. and we were really small. And so as we were going through last summer, I kept saying, Hey, I know we're going to get crushed on the boards. No matter how much we block out, we're just too small in the SEC, uh, to, to be a rebounding team. And so, yes, did we emphasize it? Sure. On a daily basis and stuff. And we talked about, you know, energy and, and loose balls and. Uh, but what we felt like all right we're not going to get it off the glass as well as we need to but we're going to take away the three and and we've got to do that at an incredible level and I think if you talk to your team about something getting back to your example coach sir of two things and do them well and and stress them I think that's what happens I remember uh, coaching the Golden State Warriors we had an exhibition game Uh, we beat Seattle Supersonics like I don't know, 71 to 72 or something. It was a low scoring game. And Coach Egan, uh, my college coach, who was an assistant coach, came into my room because we did not fly out that night. We were in Missoula, Montana, an exhibition game. He said, you're going to get fired. I said, what are you talking about? We played well. We beat Seattle. He said, you can't play the style, man. Like, we, we got to run. Um, and so we changed course the next morning, mid, middle of training camp, wanted to be a running team. I think that year we finished second in the NBA in, in, in scoring. Mm. Um, and it's because we talked about it every day. It's because we drilled it. It's because we just talked about, hey, after a made basket, inbound the ball quickly. Run your lanes extremely hard. And we drilled it, emphasized it, and didn't try to do 30 different things. And again, I think last year, you know, we won 20 games. We want to be better than we were last year. But we had a successful season because we picked one or two areas. We drilled it, we became the best in the entire country, and we felt that was our neutralizer. Make teams, make twos, don't give up the three, and then oh by the way, we got to become a pretty good three point shooting team to yeah. make up for the difference on the glass.
0: Yeah, no, that that's that's outstanding and stuff. But you know, when you what I think we found um I think a lot of college guys that when all of a sudden they have a some adversity, it might be a player get hurt uh, academic problem, you know, et cetera. Uh, they really have trouble handling it, adjusting. Whereas every day in the CBA, NBA, D league, it's normal, right? Right. It's crisis management every day. Right.
1: Yeah. And I, and, and, and even when you're around, I think coach when you're around great, like coach Daly, if we had an injury, I remember him saying, so what no one cares. Deal with it, you know, and and so like to me, it's yeah, you're right. In the minor leagues, you know what happens? Um, you you have a great player uh, like Danny Green or Jeremy Lynn or Hassan Whiteside. They get called up. You got to make an adjustment right. really, really quickly. You might have a guy drop forty uh, in a game, and the next day he's gone. So how are you going to adapt your style of play? Who's your new go to guy? And and to me, those are the greatest you know, lessons that you can ever have. And, and you've got to be adaptable. You can't feel sorry for yourself as a coach, whether it be an injury, um, wh- whatever happens to your roster, it's like, you know what? You've got to move on and figure out a way uh, to put your team in the best position uh, to win basketball games. Yeah, I
0: think that's that's great. Uh, you know, David, last summer, you know, you were really one of only, you know, there were three college uh coaches that coach national teams uh, you being with australia jay wright of course we even be in the u.s and the guy i work with Luis guzman with the dominican team uh but you know talk about the opportunity really you're coaching nba players professional players either nbl players and stuff but now competing against the best teams in the world and now seeing some great coaches at that level. There's nothing, I think, and Eric's coached, of course, FIBA basketball and national teams. The competition there, to the coaching is simply outstanding. What was that? It was almost like going to grad school for a PhD, right?
2: Uh, no doubt about it. You know,
0: what a fantastic
2: opportunity to, to, to represent, you know, my, my country in Australia and, and do that in a world championship. And, uh, you know, when you're around our team at, Patty Mills and Joe Ingles and Matt Vadova and Aaron Baines, the uh, two of them I've coached in college. But to be around those guys on a daily basis for for twelve weeks in in, in Australia and China uh, was a was an experience I'll, I'll never forget. Um, but when you talk about how tight those teams become internationally, I don't care if it's Lithuania, Spain, France, even us. I mean, we we got together in five days and and, and had five day training camp, and you head off to go try and win a medal and, and to see the teams uh, come together collectively as one unit and really play for the name on front of their jersey, you know, really play for their country is something that's not normal here in, in the U.S. Because even even at the NBA level, we're, we're, sometimes it's 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 about yourself. And, and when you're on that international stage, you're really representing a country and, and doing that with pride. And, and I thought, I know our Australian team values that, uh, but I think every other team, that did as well and the passion they play for Um, when you're going up against the Marcus souls, the Rudy go bears of the world. Every single night uh, you're playing against the best competition who are playing uh, their heart and soul out for their nation.
0: It's, it's tremendous, I think. And, uh, you know, and I think, you know, you, you'll be a better coach in Australia if you can get that godson of yours to play for you next summer, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, If, uh,
2: if, if yeah, he couldn't play last year because he has some contract uh, issues that I guess got worked out. King. Yeah, I think they got
0: worked out. He bought a bank, yeah. That was really good. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he, 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 uh, yesterday, or not, you know, we're doing this, we're recording, but – you know, you, on July 20th, you guys got a chance to finally see your team. The last time you were together with them was what about March 11th or so?
1: Yeah, we we uh, we had won the first night of the SEC tournament and um, against Vanderbilt, and we we're getting ready to play. You know, on the second night, and I uh, found out that morning that, that we were shut down, and then the guys we got right on a plane that that afternoon. And uh, by that night or the next morning, everybody was home. And and so, yes, we got guys back on July 20th. And, um, you know, everybody coached with a mask on. Um, There was no contact, uh, but we were able to get everybody on our team. And we've had, you know, we've had our guys here for, you know, basically a month uh, doing individual skill development and no one, has come down with the virus. Our guys have done, uh, you know, up to this point have done an incredible job. And one of the messages really coach was, Hey guys, I know you emulate NBA players. You emulate their moves. You you watch their games. You try to um, play like one of the NBA. Let's do what the NBA is doing right now. Let's create our own bubble to the best of our ability while we're in the middle of this pandemic. And so that's been one of our themes along with something stolen from coach doc rivers, win the weight. So those have been two themes that we've talked about over and over with our guys, uh, especially the last month since they've been back in Northwest Arkansas.
0: Talk about, um, talk, uh, some of the high school coaches and, uh, coaches at the JUCO level and stuff. And even some of our, uh, coaches from around the world that are listening, uh, Talk about the rules that you're under right now, as far as how many hours a week you're allowed to do, you know, coach and everything.
1: Yeah, so we have we're 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 in the care hours, four hours a week, and you can kind of divide that how you want. Uh, other places that I've worked as an assistant coach, maybe you do four man skill development, uh, and then there's a new group that comes in. I've elected since I've been a head coach, so it's been five years now uh, of doing, um, you know, full practice. Um, with the full team and then if they want to shoot that's on your own man (laughs) that's that's like the league like you got to get in and get your shots up and get your reps up but but we're going to use our our hours uh, to practice does that mean that player development is not happening it's actually to the contrary we have more player development happening because of the way we do practice because um, our guys understand that the way to get better, you got to be self-motivated. So if I go down there and rebound for four guys and use that as our hours, yeah, that's good. We got an hour in, uh, but how about we get together as a unit, we improve as a basketball team and then you come in the morning, you come in the afternoon and you're self-motivated to get better. Like we're going to tell them how to get better. Um but you got to do it on your own, and 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 that culture, uh, when people are around here, I think they're they're incredibly impressed uh, with how the guys kind of self motivate themselves and pull teammates into the gym at off hours, and I think that's the key, really, to player development.
0: You know, um, you've coached uh, in the NBA and in the and in the minor leagues as well as in college. You've had great players. The hardest thing I always say is to coach great players. The easiest thing is to coach bad players because they'll do anything you tell them. They're just not, you're just not going to win any games, you know. But the hardest thing is to coach really good guys. And because they're so talented, it's like I always say to if you're a school teacher, the hardest thing would do would be to teach advanced placement cl- classes because the kids are so smart. They know you don't know what the hell you're talking about. So talk about the credibility that you have. And also – Your experience coaching great players, how that helps you in working with what we would call maybe challenging players.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously, you know, to to coach in the NBA is, is probably the most challenging because of what you just said, Coach. It's like, you know, you're dealing with so many personalities. You know, players are making more money than the coaches, which would, you know, more money, higher salaries, longer salaries lead to more, you know, (laughs) <laughs> more power so to speak um, I think you you learn as a pro coach that you've got to have more of a partnership with the players um, I think that uh, you've got to talk through situations with them better your communication has to be better um, I think you, you know when you're around great players they're usually great for a reason because they're wired differently uh, in order to be great you have to be highly competitive, highly self-motivated. Um, and so when you coach people like that, that are wired differently, um, you, you've got to adjust and you've got to figure out a way to reach them and to figure out a way um, to, to have some type of partnership um, with those players. And, I, and the other thing too, like when you coach at the NBA level, um, I know like my, my last year at Golden State, I'm coaching Avery, Van, Avery Johnson, and Nick Van Exel, and those guys both have some really strong personalities. I'm 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 in my 30s, coaching two guys that had just come to to us in a trade um, with San Antonio, so they had come from playing for Coach Pop, and um, that when you go out and you do your your shoot around for the first time with those guys and you put in a pick and roll defense that's different than the Spurs and all their success and Coach Pop like you better know what you're talking about. You better know the fourth and fifth rotation. Um, And you better have answers. And that's one of the other Chuck Daly thing that resonates is players, NBA players have the biggest antennas and can sniff things out quicker than anything. And so I think from a preparation standpoint, you know, at that, NBA level, you learn so much. Again, I'm I'm going to go back another Coach Daily lesson. I remember going out for one of the first game preps, and and you you Brennan had almost every game prep every night for 82 nights because of you know your knowledge of the league and how you could teach and. But I remember bringing a piece of paper out to just follow through. Uh, the, the walkthrough in one of our first walkthroughs. And I wanted to make sure I had all the details and could look down at the paper and, and kind of follow along with what was going on. And Chuck said, what are you doing with the paper? And I said, well, I, I want to make sure we're prepared. He goes, throw that in the garbage can, man. You got to have it memorized. And just another incredible lesson on, you know, memorized, man, we we got 82 games. What are you talking about? So 30 games prep becomes a lot easier.
0: You know, when, uh, uh, I, I'm coaching with these are two real friends of yours. I'm coaching with Yubi Brown and then Mike Fratello. And and so they are, they're so disciplined in, in the way they do it. And they tell you, this is what we're going to do. We're going to hard hedge this and, that. and so we go out there. There's no discussion. There's no debate. There's no asking what your opinion is. And now I go up to Detroit and, uh, and I'm like doing the scout the first day I get there. And uh, I said, uh, so I, I, I'm starting to put in how we're going to defend the side pick and roll that night, and Chuck said, "Hold it," he said. Uh, Isaiah, Lambir, how, how do you guys want to defend this? And I'm like, oh, "What the hell's he asking them for?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? and and uh, afterwards I said, "Why didn't you tell me we we're going to do that?" He said, "It didn't matter what you said because they they're only going to buy into what they want to do." and i thought that was that was freaking another level of you know brilliance and then at the end of the first quarter and he didn't care if it was absolutely wrong at the end of the first quarter, if we're getting our ass kicked, he would say, "Isaiah, how's that working for you?" <laughs> you know, and he'd say, ah, "We should probably change it and go do that hard hedge thing." Oh, okay, okay, you know. But he <laughs> he just knew that it was better to try to get buy-in from them, you know, you know. You worked with Fratello. What I think Mike's one of the most underrated coaches in all basketball NBA history, you know. And you, oh you, no,
1: question. Yeah. I mean, both those because I got to work with with Hubie Brown in in, in a tournament that Nike sponsored. Uh, with minor league players, and we went and played in a tournament in Limoges, France, yeah. against uh, other teams, and and then and then that helped me, along with you, get uh, to work for Mike Fratello, And I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, first of all, Hubie Brown's beyond being a genius. I mean, and and I laugh at all these stat gurus because because. I mean, he like his belief of a small forward being a great defensive rebounder, I can hear his voice talking about how that's the key to having a great defense, making sure your small forward it was an incredible defensive rebounder. And then Mike Fratello, his attention to detail, um, like when I was with him with the Memphis Grizzlies, we trapped the post. Right. The knowledge of the rotations, I do whether it be the X trap, the Y trap, or the Z trap, I mean, it forces you to sit there and say as a coach, Wow, I don't know as much as I should know. And and, and that's the, the cool and the great thing about coaching is when you can go, dude, I don't know Jack. I gotta get better, man. I gotta learn my craft better. Cause Coach Fratello knows more than I know. You know, I, I got one tenth the knowledge on defensive post rotations. And so it forces you to become a better coach, just like it does when you work with assistant coaches. And they're really good. They force you to become and elevate as a coach as well.
0: Do you know when uh, we were in Atlanta, you, be Mike, and myself? Uh, ma- imagine we only had two assistants, and we still survived and had a game. It's amazing. And you know, we just, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and you know what happened was uh, we were the first team in the NBA to trap a pick and roll, and the first team to trap in the post. Wow. And amazing, unbelievable. And, yeah, and this was in the eighties, and uh, and no one knew what to do in either case. Isn't that funny? You know how that is. And now today, I laugh when teams refuse to trap the post. They're worried about a three-point shot. Well, the guy that's in the post can't pass. You know, and <laughs> you know, and it just amazes me to think to thinking we we coach out of a different fear set. You know, David, you are one of the best recruiters in America, and and I think you know uh, one of the things we talk about. As as young coaches, is they, say, they you know they want assistance, You know, the, the, uh, your job with uh, assistant one, assistant two, assistant three. You all better recruit, and everyone has their own style. What's your style?
2: Look, I think you, obviously recruiting's part of the job at the college level, and uh, but ultimately you're a coach, and so like Coach Much just said, you better you better learn your craft and, and understand X's and O's. But recruiting's also another component. And uh, I think anything I try to do, I try to be the best at. And uh, from a recruiting standpoint, Coach Sir, it, it's relationships, man. It it, it comes down to what I've said that before on one of your podcasts. But you know, jumping back into this assistant role, uh, being removed for two years, um, even though I've only been here two weeks, like I've been able to re- rekindle some of the, some of the, my relationships because I've because I've I've cherished them while I've been away. Whether it's here in Arkansas or in Texas or Louisiana, are and, and, and your relationships non-transactional, meaning are, are you only calling guys if they have a player or are you calling them to check in on them? And that's key, I think, as we grow. And, uh, you know, I don't work for Coach Musk if, if I don't keep a relationship that we that we established 15 years ago. You know, I, I'm not on this podcast with you and we, we only worked together uh, for one year, but, you know, we met through Coach Muscleman. We we worked together and now, shoot, we talk every single day. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's something that's easily said, but hard to follow through with. And it's something that that I try to do because I. You know, I, I
0: really value that. I talked to you more than my wife, which I'm thrilled at by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really thrilled at. You know uh you know, what one, one of the things I think, Eric, that uh, you know, is is absolutely amazing when you think about your career and I wanna touch on it. I know we've done it a little bit before, but your dad and I were really good friends and uh and I just uh, he he was such a good coach and uh, you know, I got you know, I got to coach against him when he was coaching the T Wolves in their first. I mean, he was so good, and he took players that they were nothing compared to our Piston ch- team's championship team, but we we were happy to get out of there with a one point win or something. You know, I know every day was a clinic at your house and and stuff, but you know, it, it, for you. I, I don't care about really, I care about American history. I don't care about world history going back, but I care about basketball history and every young coach should learn about the UB Browns, the Bill Musselman's, the Chuck Daly's, et cetera. Talk about your dad.
1: I mean, just the comp- you know, like the household I grew up in was just so competitive and, and, um, you know, he loved to play pickup ball before he hired his staff. Like he, he, he wanted to find out what a guy was like <laughs> playing pickup ball. Um, every day was a challenge. Like, I mean, a lot of coaches are probably too young, but like the Pac Man game, we'd go into a restaurant and he'd go to the Pac Man machine and try to beat the highest score. Um, but he was, you know, he, so, was, he was such a great coach and so detailed and so disciplined, but, but he was also an incredible marketer. Um, yep. You know, at the University of Minnesota, their games were sold out and then the hockey arena was often had 6000 people because there was not enough to fill Williams arena and he, so he was a great marketer with his pregame warm up yeah. and kind of did this unique guy that had um was known as a disciplinarian um teams played you know really slow grinded out basketball but yet pregame they had a unicycle guys spinning the ball on their fingers um jugglers on scholarship um, so this unique combination that you would not think would really work because um, the style of play did not correlate with the pregame warm up and, and some of the things. So um, but just, a, you know, what he opened up to me was uh, how many young people get to be. Uh, in a dugout with Billy Martin prior to a Yankee game and have conversations or hear conversations, I should say. Um, I remember Paul Brown, the former NFL owner, coach, uh, being in our living room talking about my dad's first meeting when he was going to go coach the San Diego sales of the ABA. So I think back to how fortunate and how lucky I was. That's not even mentioning all the NBA uh, stories or people that I had been around, but I I just think back to you know his relationship with uh, Ballard Smith, who was the president of the San Diego Padres, and and as a as a junior high seventh and eighth grader sitting in in, in the Padres owners box with Ray Kroc, not once in a while, but I'm talking like two to three times a week sitting and hearing conversations and, um, he just opened the doors to so much, but when he got the job with the Timberwolves, uh, as their inaugural coach, I was not on that staff. Right. And you know what he told me, B, he said, go earn your stripes, go coach in the minor leagues. Maybe I'll hire you down the road. And then he hired me, um, after I went to rapid city, um you know in the old CBA he did hire me that second year in Minnesota so even my own dad, you know, wouldn't hire me on his initial staff as a scout or anything, because yeah. I told him, "Man, I'll, 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 I'll scout. I'll do whatever." And he said, "No, nah, you, you're not experienced yeah. enough, my man."
0: Enjoy Rapid City. <laughs> 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 yeah, enjoy that. Uh, you know what? I, I, you know, to this day, you know, you talk about 32 years ago, I did a scout against, you know, of course, the Timberwolves, and, and you know. And then, of course, playing against you in the CBA in the mid to, you know, late 90s and then working together. I knew every one of his unique numbering sets and you couldn't stop the stuff he ran. He really went and took his talent and just, you know, it maximized their talent by putting him in spots where you couldn't double team them, et cetera. I, I, his system is incredible and I'm sure you still use some of his stuff.
1: We do. We we his his numbering system. He spent a lot of time on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flip Saunders then used the yep. same numbering system um, when he coached the Pistons and the Timberwolves and the Wizards. And he, the, I think the biggest thing with my dad was was take your talent and then be innovative. Um, I remember we were getting ready to play the Los Angeles Lakers and we had a seven foot three center who was not very mobile laterally in Randy Brewer. Yep. And we walked into the staff meeting, myself and Tom Thibodeau and my dad, and and my dad said, I'm putting Randy Brewer on Magic Johnson tonight. <laughs> and 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 Tom Thibodeau <laughs> and I looked at each other and said, now he's lost his mind. <laughs> um, and but his thought process was Magic was so great posting up yeah. that he wanted to take away every Magic Johnson post-ups by having a seven-foot-three center on him. And he just had Randy Brewer back off and try to bait him into shooting threes, which was his you know, weakness of the game. Was, yeah. And so just the, the innovativeness or the ability to withstand criticism if something like that didn't work out, uh, he was immune to the press and the negative criticism that could come with a move like that that could – and probably did backfire. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but you know, you know, t- this will be a, one of the. I remember when Chuck came and worked at the Cavaliers. When your dad was he? Was, I'm trying to remember. Was he GM or assistant to the president? Yeah, was his, his title? title
1: was I think director of player personnel. Yeah. But at the time, I don't even know if they had a GM. You're right on either. because the owner was Ted Stepien. We. We we don't have enough time on the podcast no. to go into Ted Stepion's stories. It
0: might have been a softball coach that was the GM if I'm not mistaken. But Don Delaney yeah, was
1: the softball coach yes. of one uh, of Ted Stepion's so, teams. You're correct. So this
0: <laughs> is the importance, David, Patrick, of taking uh-huh. a good job. Okay. So the great Chuck Daly, who is, you know, our mentor, he he is, you know, the coach of Penn, you know, he's You know, he's now the assistant coach with the 76ers, Julius Irving, Daryl Dawkins. They got Mo Cheeks, uh, Andrew Toney. They got a squad. They're about ready to win the championship. And Chuck, he wants to be an NBA head coach. So he gets the job with the Cavs as the head coach. And Eric, do we remember how long he lasted there?
1: I'm gonna guess, and I'm only Chuck used to always say it. He was so
0: ninety-three days is how Chuck described (laughs) it, and 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 now he he's living in now you know Chuck he's a little pissed off if he's at a Ritz Carlton, right? You know, and he's at the Holiday Inn in Richfield. That's where he's staying. You know, with doors to the outside. You know, on a winter night, you know, when when he opens the door to go to his room at night, there's snow blowing in, and so he finally goes to Eric's dad and says fire me fire me
1: <laughs>
0: a tr- that's a true story absolutely
2: and,
1: and and my dad tried to tell him hey we're gonna have a great draft pick <laughs> and hang in there and he said i thought you were my friend and, and my dad said well we are we got to work through this thing he goes if you're my friend you'll fire me
0: <laughs> true story my goodness and he did not, not yet yeah. Truth. Yeah, he didn't
1: want any more L's on his <laughs> on his because he knew there was record. you know like they were just going to
2: keep losing. Yeah, um, so that's a true story. So
0: it, it's so important that you're taking a job. So I'd love to move to Arkansas for you,
2: boss. <laughs> hey. I'm not coming around to tell you fire me. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: you guys, I'm so happy for the two of you being together. It's one of the most dynamic coaching staffs in America now, and uh, my two friends, I'm so happy for you both.
1: No, thanks, P. I mean, it's, it's for, for Coach Patrick and I, it's like, I mean, he's been over at my house almost every night. We're doing laundry together. We're hanging out. Oh, the and the cool thing is he's making me a better coach for sure. I mean, we're, we practiced the 20th. Practice ends two hours later. I got three pages of notes on things we could do better with ideas to think about, um, his impact on recruiting. Um, I've been so used to recruiting the parents, and the kid, he's opened up the importance of the high school coach, uh, the all the tentacles that that attach to a recruit. He's made me a better recruiter in a short amount of time too. So thanks for having us on, and actually thanks for the friendship and connecting DP and I again.
0: Well, you're most welcome. But you know, I can my only last last advice to both of you is, uh, you know, and I've learned this over forty eight years is that in the business is that there is nothing better w- than when you can work with your best friends. And I enjoyed both of you guys. And now I have Donnie Jones, who's right there with you guys. Just amazing people. When you're with your best friend every day, you don't work. And that's what no I doubt. love about it. So I'm happy of you guys and uh, you're going to have a great year. And I look forward to it. And we'll talk again tonight. I'm sure. David. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sure, <a> <laughs> hey guys, thank you so much. And we really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks, coach, coach. Eric Musselman, head coach University of Arkansas. David Patrick, associate head coach. I mean, you're talking about two great basketball coaches. <laughs> they're the total package: recruit, connect to players, coach the you know players on the floor, develop players, care about them as people. Uh, they're they're what you you model yourself after. Uh, SEC, incredible basketball conference. These guys. Uh, they're going to be nothing short of spectacular together over time, and uh, I'm really happy for both of them, you know. And and they're getting back to starting practice now in the SEC, and and hopefully we, our fingers across around the country that everyone's going to be able to. A, get back to school, whether you're a high school coach or a college coach, kids will be able to come back to school and hopefully we'll have a season. That's, you know, and that and that's what we all want. And again, any way of coaching you, we can be helpful to you to podcast each week or play it a week, you know, with Fast Model, you know, or of course our videos, you know. Again, go to coachingyoulive.com forward slash best of coaching you. Until next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sir.